Now, um, writing to my sermon, of course, and I'm going to need the two of you to write, okay? So can you stay up here? And uh, I didn't ask you beforehand because you may say no. So I need you. I need both of you. Not to stand behind the board. Move back. Okay, all right. Uh, there's Marcus right there. Grab a marking hand, will you? And uh, no, it's not Pictionary. It's not Youth Grip. Uh, but... I need you to write, and uh, as a way of of entering into the message this morning, uh, I want to ask a simple question. It's rather an important question, and I hope that you will participate. Now, no one likes in a group like this to speak out and to be seen, but I do ask that you just kind of move out of your comfort zone for just a little this morning. Uh, As a way of affirming that you'll do so, can you say amen? Oh, Oh, it's going to be tough. Okay. Uh, What you need to do, however, is you need to speak loud enough so that we can hear you and so that these wonderful ladies, one on each side of the board, uh, thank you, uh, will write down your answer. So here's the question. The question's up there. Can you see it? How God loves me. I want you, whether it's a word or a brief, uh, we don't want a sermon, okay, just to, to kind of yell or speak loudly, I should say, how you perceive of God's love, okay? So it could be one word or a couple, but let's be succinct, which is a spiritual gift, okay? And it's really important, it's really important that we get cooperation from everybody. So, who would start us off? Rich, thank you for raising your hand. Reassurance. Reassurance. I hope you can spell, Jennifer. Okay. Reassurance. How would you describe God's love? Give big words. Unconditional. Unconditional. Yeah, yeah, she can't write fast, so you go, you can write wherever. You don't have to be pretty, just all over the board, right? Unconditional. Okay, anybody else? Unending. Unending. Anybody else? How would you describe God's love? Grace. That's a great word. Has deep meaning. Grace. Yearning. Y-E-A-R-N. I-N-G, yearning. Anybody else? How would you describe God's love? Abundant. Abundant. That's good. Abundant. Extravagant. Yes. Sacrificial. Okay. Constant. Keep up now. Endless. Could you say that again? Provisional. Spell that. Okay. Anybody else? Free? He forgives. Forgiveness. Just a couple more. How would you describe God's love? Mercy. Mercy. Good word. Mercy. It's an easy one to spell. (laughs) And one last one. Redemptive and peaceful. And you guys are the best people to have right. Look at how amazing that looks. Let's give them a hand as they sit down. That is fantastic. I, uh, I want you to, to look at the words behind me or turn in your bulletins to the scripture I have. And I'm going to read it for you now. Um, this is a familiar portion of scripture, and we'll come back to this in just a minute. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to the words, if you, especially if you've been in the church and if you've heard this before. I ask that you try. Posture yourself to hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time. John chapter 15, I'm reading from verse 9 through 17. This is what it says. As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. I want you to listen to that. Let me say that again because we we tend to kind of gloss over this stuff and not think about the implications. This is what it says. He says, my command is this. Love, not generally, just kind of undefined, but love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life, one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus commands us to love one another as he loved us. This command, excuse me. Let me get some water. Thanks. This command to love as Jesus loves is given a particular context. Jesus is the example. In other words, you know, what what the scripture is literally saying is the love we ought to have for others ought to be the same way in which we have been loved by God. Have you ever considered, think about it with me, what it means to love others as Christ loves you? Such a question, I think, if you consider it deeply enough, uh, biblically enough, is a challenging one for a Christian to consider. It is challenging because when we become attentive to how Christ loves us, when we become uh, more aware of how much He loves us, of how gracious He is towards us, it becomes defining of how we ought to love others. You see, many people are quite happy with the gracious love of God that comes to them. But do we often recognize that the depth and the grace of that love implies something specifically in the way we relate to others? I think it's why Jesus says that the greatest command is not just to love God with everything in you, but to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus ties godly love into human relationship and context. And in this particular text, he ties it into a specific example in the person of Jesus Christ. I think when we leave love generalized, when we leave it kind of vague, I think we lose What Jesus is saying. I think here we we recognize that the more aware and understanding of God's love we become. The more we we think of assurance and redemptive and provisional and mercy and, and peaceful and sacrificial. The more we believe and affirm that that's truly how God loves us. The deeper the conviction should be within our hearts that that is how we ought to love each other. The greatest significance we place on the love of God places 
a direct requirement upon the relationships we have. So uh, I'm not good at this. I'm trying it because I saw about six of you fall asleep last week. And so I hope this wakes some of you up. Okay, so if I take this out and I say... See, I'm not good at it. it. Took me two minutes to write the sentence nicely. Would our answers be the same? Do do I do I love? Do I love like this? With grace, with mercy, with patience, with forgiveness. Do I love extravagantly, faithfully? Do, do I love with an endless devotion? Do I love abundantly? I, I think that if we are to be honest here this morning, then maybe we would be confessional and say, Stu, I, I don't quite love like that. I, I, I believe that God loves me that way, but I don't think I literally love that way in relationship with others. Listen, the reason we don't love others like Jesus loves us is not because such a love is impossible. You know, some of us may think it's impossible to love others this way. And if you think that way, what you're literally saying in your beliefs is that you do not believe that what Jesus commands disciples is actually possible. You see, Jesus does not command what he does not believe can be done. Jesus does not ask his disciples to live in a particular way if he does not believe that disciples can actually love in a manner that reflects the very love of God. It is imperative that you and I realize in the simplicity of what I've just done that God says repeatedly throughout Scripture, Jesus challenges to, to consider the depth of our devotion to Him as having a direct implication on the relationships we have with others. I mean, what would happen in your relationships today, in this moment, if you, if you, if you embrace 80% of what is on here? What would happen if, if we started to look this way in our relationships with one another? What if our relationships were so grace-filled, so filled with the love of God, that all of what is written here moves us with such a depth of love that it literally comes across as Jesus in flesh in the relationships we have with each other? This morning when we look at our text, we learn from Jesus that such love is not possible in our own strength. Possible, yes, but not possible in my own strength. In fact, in the scripture that I read last week and preached on, we read that Jesus says that if we do not abide in Him, nothing can come from our life that has any significant eternal lasting effect. In fact, I want to say to you that if you feel that this is impossible in your relationships, in your own strength, you're absolutely right. I, I cannot do, I cannot love this way in and of myself. 
But what Jesus says throughout John 15 is that when you have a relationship with me, I enable in you a particular love that runs far deeper than any love that has been imposed upon you. Any perception of love that you had in your family, any experience of love, not belittling all of that, but we cannot love as Jesus loves based upon the experience of having relationships with others. We must have a relationship with the one who loves us so, so that we may love as he loves. That needed more amens. I mean, that, that was good. Amen, Jan. Amen. And so this morning, what does our text teach us? How do we get there? How does the love of God become so a part of our life that it reflects and reveals itself in the relationship we have with one another? What if the profession of love in the believing community becomes the actual action of love in relationship with one another? What if what we say and sing about actually starts to reveal itself in our day-to-day relationships? I think this morning that the text teaches us, first, who we learn love from. Secondly, for those who are making, taking notes, how we learn such love. And thirdly, how such love transforms our relationships. Who we learn love from in this text matters. You know what the scripture says? The scripture says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Who we learn love from is critical to how we love. Let me give you an illustration from family life. Parents become quickly, acutely aware that the way in which they relate to one another will have an impact for the better or the worse on their children. Can I get an amen, parents? Do you know where children learn many of the virtues and the qualities with which they will pursue their life? Now, I've met people over the years. They, 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 they would say this to me. I do not want to be anything like my dad was. I do not want to be anything like my mom was. But the point I'm making is simply this. Parental love, parental relationship, parents have an impact on our behavior for the better or the worse. And in good parenting homes, in good homes, the parental example uh, would be a faithful one, hopefully a loving one, hopefully one that provides us with security. But ultimately, as parents, we know that most of our lives raising our children, there is a little bit of us that feels, oh, we are messing them up. You see, children recognize and know They understand and they learn from us. And as parents, we recognize that our imperfections and failures can and may have an impact on them. We pray, God, let it not be so. But you know what Jesus says in this particular scripture? He says this, that the love I'm expecting you to have with others is the very love that has been given to me. I have learned this love from the Father, and this very love I teach now to you. You see, I don't know if this is making sense to you, but godly love finds its origin in who God is. 
It is relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And it is out of that relationship that Jesus loves us. It is a love that the scriptures define as agapeo. It is, it is God's love. It is an infinite love. It is a deep love. It is a love that comes to us first. It's a love that chooses us. It is a love that risks much because it loves even if someone is not going to love in return. And it is that kind of love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for us. Now the depth of that can only be impressed upon our hearts through the Spirit of God. Do you know how much you are loved this morning? Do you know how much you are loved this morning? Talk is not cheap in John 15. This is not just about, hey, I like you, man. I like how you look and I like how you make me feel. This is the kind of love that says, I'll die in your place. And that kind of love I give to you freely. Now, when we read this text, what we tend to do is we look at the conditional nature of it. We say, but Jesus says, you know, if you abide in my commands, and then you, you know you abide in me in your love. That's not what Jesus is saying. You know what the scripture teaches? The scripture says this, he loves us. And he literally says this. Now, if you want to love others the way I love you, then what you do with my love is really important. In fact, he answers what to do with his love by saying we must learn to abide in it, to remain in it. Now, some of you may say, you know what, Stu, it sounds great. Abide, remain. Great words, but maybe lacking in definition. What does it mean? Boy, my throat is dry this morning. My apologies. You remember the story I told you about the bottle incident in my first church that I ministered in? Wow, nobody listens, eh? <laughs> Nothing like that stunned look on your face to tell me. <laughs> Before you hit the doors, you go, what did he say? No, I'm kidding. Where was I? Oh, Stu Williams. Rabbit trails, rabbit trails. Definition, lacks definition. But you know what? In the scripture, thank you, Jen. Thank you, thank you. You know, in this scripture, to abide is defined. And, and it's defined not in this kind of esoteric spiritual way. Because I think, to be honest with you, my, 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 preference, my, my, my pre- preference in worship like this, corporate worship, is, 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 is deep contemplation and connection with the Lord. You know, some of you connect differently. But I like... I like to listen, hear, receive, and, and, and engage, maybe on a more emotional level than some are capable, you know, or, or, or wanting. And so, so I, I, I understand that the tension in me is that I want to make abiding just about that kind of, you know, nice feeling of Jesus. Uh, you know, the nice feeling that he loves me today. The good feeling in my heart that, oh man, you know, I have a God who loves me. But you know what, what the scripture says? This abiding is, is, is rooted in a, in a very pragmatic and writ, very difficult reality. Jesus says, the way in which you learn to love like me, as my love finds you, is to become obedient to my commands. Now I have to say, Love and obedience doesn't seem to fly together. An example from my home. No, you cannot have another candy. You don't love me. Why do you hate me? I wish I had different parents. That one still hurts, still hurts. 
And you know, some of your parents are feeling my pain right now. Yet, the scripture teaches us very clearly. Jesus is, is, is not ambiguous here. You know, for those of, those of us who, 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 who like to exegete scripture, pull it about, you can do this with the scripture in its original language and it will come out the same way. You know what Jesus is saying? Yeah, I, I have to read it because I don't want to misquote Jesus, okay? He, he, he says this, he says this. You know, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Uh, you know, uh, if God is our example of love and, 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 and Jesus loves us, then the way in which that love actually transforms us and makes us people who are able to love others is through obedience. Please note this. Jesus is not saying, if you obey my commands, then I will love you. Or, I will love you only if you do what I say. But rather, this is what he's saying. I want you to hear this. Now that you know my Father's love as I have been loved, be obedient to me so that you may be able to love others. Our obedience as a means of creating within us the capacity to love others. Out of the love I have for you, be obedient. Because this is the way in which you learn to love as I have loved you. In Hebrews 12, the author says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord, what? He disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Listen, let let, let me put it this way to you. that, That you and I know intuitively as parents that know and rules our love language that our children are yet to understand. We know instinctively that if we are to love, there is boundaries. We know that if we are to experience love, there is limitations. We know that love is not permissiveness to do whatever you want. I want my son around. I want my daughter around. I want them to make healthy decisions. Please pray for me. We have all these these middle school boys coming by our house already. And I got to tell you what, I'm praying. I'm praying. Either God moves us out of the neighborhood or he does something miraculously in these little guys' lives. Because they're not coming around to see me. I needed to get that off my chest. Thank you, Dan. (laughs) But with my children, with our children, we, we have rules. We invite them to live in a particular way and we try to explain to them. And and I've learned this, that sometimes they're just not at the age where they understand that dad's loving them right now by saying no. And more significantly, Do they understand that in saying yes to dad in obedience, they are loving dad? You know, as Christians, let me put it this way. We want the benefits without the obedience. We want the love, but we don't want the cost. We are tempted to dismiss what God is saying to us in these moments as not having an implication and a demand upon the way we live our lives today.
It's simple. It's not profound. But yet it is incredibly challenging. You know what Mother Teresa said? I like to quote people who come very close in my estimate to modeling the grace and love of Jesus. She said this. She says, I know the power obedience has of making things easy which seem impossible. I know the power obedience has of making things easy which seem impossible. You know, um, I've had people in my life that are, let, let me put it mildly, that are difficult to love. Don't judge me. I've had situations in my life that, 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 that in which people may have done things by intention or maybe even just out of ignorance that has been hard. You see, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living in ideal land here. I'm not living in la-la land. I'm, I'm not pretending, you know, oh, you know what, loving others oh, is such a wonderful thing. It's so easy. It is challenging to love, especially if love is more than just emotion, right? If love is more than just a feeling. Is there a song like that? There's a song like that, isn't there? Okay. <laughs> Maybe in South Africa, I don't know. Yeah. But this kind of love is a love that grows deep in our relationship with Jesus. And the way to remain close to him so that we would know what love really is, is to be obedient to him. Have you thought of it this way? That if you're so close, if you're in relationship, if you are, are, are spending time with the Lord, that what he says to you about your life has relevance and an impact upon the decisions you make and the relationships you have with others. I believe wholeheartedly that every day God is calling me to obedience that impacts the people around me. And when I say no to his will in my life, I do not love as he loved. Where are we being disobedient? Where are we not yielding and submitting to what Jesus is asking us. In fact, you know, obedience, uh, just, just, just for the sake of getting somebody to do what you want them to do, you know, obedience that is, that is enforced is unhealthy for many, real, many reasons. But obedience that is asked from someone who you can trust. Obedience that comes out of the, the, the person that is most trustworthy, according to Scripture. Obedience that comes. What Jesus asks us to do in obedience, you know, it might be sacrificial. It might be really hard. But it is for our best. And in fact, in the Scripture, he says this. I do this so that my joy may be in you. I say this to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know, if, 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 if love and obedience doesn't fit together, obedience and joy in my home does not go together. In fact, measurements of obedience is met with wailing and gnashing of teeth. But isn't it interesting... That Jesus says, I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. You know, Jesus so loves the Father, so is assured of the Father's love, that for him, obedience brings him joy. Joy because it pleases the Father. I, I don't know if I can explain deep theology with simple illustrations, but I always try. 
And here goes again. Do we not long to do things for those we love that we know they love? Some of the most meaningful gifts I've gotten in my life are the gifts given to me by someone who knows what I like. It is when I got the fifth necktie from someone who clearly doesn't know what I like. I don't become less appreciative because that would make me seem like a bad pastor, but this is my way of saying neckties, I have enough of them. But it is when my, uh, my daughter comes home and she notes that dad's a little groggy, a little off. And she comes and she sits on my lap and she says, Dad, why do you look so sad today? And she'll go further and she'll say, I think you need a hug. And therein, my daughter loves me in ways that goes beyond anything materially because she knows what her dad loves. Obedience to the commands of God is not a God who simply demands that we live a particular way. Can I say we need to grow up? We need to realize that He's called to live in a particular way is His greatest love demonstrated to us. But not only do we learn to love through obedience, but such abiding love changes the relationships we have with others. If you read the text, you would realize that, that Jesus literally says this. He says that the disciples are no longer servants, but they are now His friends. I mean, there's a, a distinction made here, of course. You know, friends... They know things about one another. And Jesus says it this way. He says, servants don't. There's a change in the status now of the disciples from the words that describe them in terms of a formal kind of relationship to being a lot more personal. And Jesus says they are personal because he now shares things with them. Uh, You know, uh, I am punching well above my weight class this morning. Um, uh, when I was preparing the sermon, I said, I, I possibly have to preach this five times to just get a clue what it's really saying. But I'm grabbing for something here this morning that I think God has laid on my heart. And, and I hope that you would allow me just to, to try and get there through my own thinking. You know, uh, for those of us to whom God is master and we are servants. Love is rigid. Love is hard. Love is not transformative. It is about doing. For, 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 for some of us here this morning, you see, transformation cannot happen because 
he is yet to become the friend that he's made us. For some of us, our perception of Jesus and God directly impacts the way we have relationships with each other. And the distance that is there is the distance that we keep in our relationships with one another. You, you know what Jesus is saying when he says, you're no longer servants, but you're friends. He's saying this, I've let you in. You know what true friendship does? True friendship lets you in. You know secrets. You know things. You know what Jesus says? You are my friends. Why? Because I've told you all the secrets that the Father has told me. I've revealed it to you. You know know what the Father knows because you know me. I'm not withholding anything of you. This relationship is a lot tighter. Yeah, I'm cool for the teens here. That was cool, right? No? Is that no longer a good word? Tight? Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Although you're no longer a teen either. But there's more, there's more to this relationship than some of us dare to believe. You know, here's the problem we have. You know, if we said Jesus is our friend, that's not cool because friend is so informal. Friend is so, you know, it doesn't really mean that much. But Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yes, he is. But he in this passage says, I am your friend. And biblical friendship, Jesus' friendship is a lot deeper, a lot richer than casual friendship. Is the friendship that says, I want to have more of a relationship with you than you are allowing us to have. I I want you to understand more, to know more, to be aware more of the things of God. I I want you to realize that I've come to you and I'm not withholding anything. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it something? You know, and, and I speak under conviction. It's hard to not withhold things from friends sometimes. It's hard. Because, you know, we, we don't want them to think of us. But, but think about the, 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 the good friends you have. The good friends you have are probably the ones in which you will trust some of the deep, deep, deep things of your life to. You'll go there. And though many of us have acquaintances, maybe few of us have real friends. I've never thought of friendship in this way until I studied this text, and I am convinced that God has put his hand on my life and challenged me very particularly. Jesus says that he made them friends with two particular actions, and with this I close, and everybody says, Amen. And then I'll keep going. First, he says, True love gives itself away. In fact, he refers to the greatest form of love as the love in which a friend gives up his life for another. Friendship as selflessness. Friendship of caring for someone else so much that we are willing to make the sacrifices. Lauren asked me the other day as we were driving in Uh, the car together, she said, Daddy, why would Jesus choose disciples who would not be there for him when he needed them the most? (laughs) And uh, I didn't quite have my theology ready for that kind of question. 
But the answer, of course, is that Jesus loved them, and the risk was well worth it. You see, to, to, to love others, to be friends, it does not come without a price. It, it, it requires a trust. It requires a risk. It requires a vulnerability. How much, how many of us are deeply thirsty for that friendship? How much of us uh, have those kinds of friends for which today we must give God thanks? Are you selfless in your relationships? Husbands and wives and those who are dating? Is your relationship about your needs being met? You, you know what happens when people separate. You know what one of the top things is that they say? They say it in different ways, but they say the same thing. My needs weren't met. What they reveal in that, of course, is what is true of most of us in our relationships, is that we tend to be selfish, not selfless. And we need help. You know, as I, as I said to you, you know, I, I, I hope on Sundays you come and you don't think Stu is pre preaching DIY theology. You know, this is how you do it yourself. I, I, I want to paint a very strong case as I close that it is really hard to love like this. Not only does Jesus say, you know, listen, I, I made you friends because I will die in your place. He says, I chose you. You know, oh, to be chosen. The delight when you're a child and you are chosen for a team or you're chosen for a project or you're chosen for something special. I think it's lost. It's beaten out of us the older we get. Maybe we haven't been chosen a few times and so we kind of become, build our resistance and become cold to the joy of chosen but the scripture says that Jesus chose his disciples despite their inadequacies. He chooses us the same way. And so in our friendships, do we choose as Jesus chooses? <laughs> I mean, do, 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 we, do we only choose those who we perceive can bless and benefit our relationship? Do we only choose those who we, we have the greater expectation that they will come through? Do we only choose to know those that fits in our way of life. But Jesus chooses disciples who were not the best of the best. And if we are to love like Jesus loved, then our church must be a place in which that choice is consistently made. We do not choose people simply for their utility or their usefulness or our comfort. We choose them because Jesus loves them. And as I close, I, I do not close on a somber note, but I do close with a note of hope. The scripture does resolve and say, ask my father whatever you want in his name and he will do so. Of course, the scripture is a scripture that answers one primary question. How do I love others as Jesus loved me? And the answer is, Abiding in Him. And it begins with prayer. Ask of Him. 
This prayer, he says, will be answered. The prayer that says, Father, I want to love like Jesus loves others. He says, I will answer. God will answer. He will honor that prayer. This is not the prayer of, Lord, make my life better or change so and so so that they are more lovable. Just change them, Jesus. I so wish they were here this morning because they needed to hear this. They're so difficult and annoying. Just change their spirit, change their personality, change everything about them. But this is the prayer that says, Father, create within me the deep roots of love, so deep that I have the capacity to love those who are hard to love. Let's bow our heads this morning and I do recognize that often God does speak in, in, in ways that go beyond, and hopefully it happens more than not, beyond my preparation, beyond my words. But this is a word that is timely for, for us, it's timely for me. And it is so needed. Our world is in need of Christ-like love. And God has chosen us. Father, this morning I thank you for your word that speaks to my heart. I thank you for the challenge this morning that comes from it. And I pray today that whatever you have said to us, may not just simply bring a a sense of truth and understanding, but conviction that leads to obedience. Search me, O God. Know my heart today. See if there's anything in me that is not of you. For I desire to love others through true fellowship with you. Break, break the bonds of, uh, of sin and shame. Heal the wounds. Grant us the faith and the trust to love. To be liberal in our choice. in our church by your spirit that we may love as you love us in Jesus name